0: Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I am your host, a very croaky host this week, actually. I don't know. Hey, if you don't can sound say- very well. I, I sound a bit hoarse, don't I? Yeah. It's, it's the football. It's the, foot- <laughs> it's the football. <laughs> You've got footballitis. The, I got fo- yeah, yeah I've got footballitis at the Thompsons. <laughs> um, before we get started with this week's show, don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. Also, find us on Twitter at IBL Podcast. Again, joining me this week is I'm Matt back. Alder. We Matt said Alders. last week we were going to stop saying you're back. We're going
1: we're gonna to stop saying I'm back and uh, uh, but I'm back, guys. But he's back.
0: Uh, <laughs> what, what? Who's who's on the show today? So. On this week's show, we have got, first of all, we are going to be talking to our education reporter, Michael Yong. Michael is fantastic at his education brief, and he has been putting together the Real Schools Guide, which is something that happens across the country where we compile a list of the best schools in our area, and Michael puts that together. So he's going to talk about what that means for parents, how they should use it, and how he sort of puts it together. Really, really interesting chat, really handy for parents to find out the behind the scenes on that one. And then we're also going to be speaking this week to our reporter, Tristan Cork, who is really, really ingrained in his community in South Bristol. And mm-hmm. he writes a lot about that area because he knows it so well. So we're going to talk to him about what the future of South Bristol is, and particularly Bedminster. What's happening? What are the developments? What are the problems that the issue? What are the problems that the area faces? And he's just going to give us a bit of an insight into his coverage on a on a really sort of tight knit community. And then finally on this week's show, it's another What's On segment because it is summer. Something is going on every single weekend in Bristol. This week, it is Bristol Pride, which is massive. It's a lovely event. There's loads going on. It's bigger than it's ever been before. So we're going to speak to our What's On guys, uh, Grace and Sophie, to find out more about that. I've never
1: been. Have you ever been? I've I've been to the one in
0: London. I've never been to the Bristol one, but I am free this weekend. So I think I am. You think you're going to go? I'm going to go. Get, I, you can't miss it. You honestly can't miss I it. I think
1: I might I think I might pop along.
0: It should be fantastic. I think it's gonna be good. I've been to the one in Brighton. Yeah, I've heard that's amazing as well. The Brighton Pride is fantastic from what I hear. Yeah. The London one it's was a, huge. I was sort of in London coincidentally, and then I just find myself going along to it and getting involved and it was it was brilliant. Really loved it.
1: It's a great time and it's you know, it's obviously just great vibes all yeah, around. Yeah,
0: it is a really nice sort of family friendly, Lovely, fun event inclusive, just, yeah, like Yeah. Just, Perfect for Bristol, really. Perfect for Bristol. Fits right in. Fits right in. (laughs) Right, lovely stuff. Let's get on with this week's show.
2: Hi, I'm Michael Young. I'm the education reporter at Bristol Live. What are we here to talk about today? So um, just this week, we've published the Real Schools Guide 2018, looking at secondary schools in Bristol, South Gloucestershire, North Somerset, and parts of Bath and North East Somerset.
0: Right, so there's, there's three of us in the room now. We've got Matt with us as well. Yeah. None of us are parents. <laughs> I know nothing. Not about, that I know of. Nothing about schools. <laughs> not that you know. Not that we know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, nothing about schools. So, Matt and I are the the least qualified people <laughs> to talk about education <laughs> right just, now. Luckily, you're the most you're the most qualified person to talk about it. Uh, okay. So, what are these? What are these tables then?
2: So, the real schools guy is put together by the Bristol Live or the parent company's data unit, and the data unit are made up of journalists, um, not necessarily just here in Bristol, but you've got journalists all around the country in Cardiff, in Manchester, and Birmingham, and they put together this real schools guide. Uh, now the guide's now in its sixth year, and uh, it takes it's it's perhaps the most comprehensive performance tables for schools anywhere in the country. It's got fifty-one different data points, which is quite a lot. Um, perhaps more than most places, it looks at absence ratios, it looks at progress scores, attainment scores, obviously, it also looks at like people so sort of teacher ratios, it looks at class sizes, so it takes in quite a lot of information and and then they chart it, they put it into a guide a massive guide that takes sort of months to put together, and then they send it out to us, the education reporters to sort of digest the information and write a story around. It, yeah, sounds, it sounds like guy. a
0: massive combination of of the, you know of data because there are how many schools are there in Bristol and the surrounding area? So areas in this in this
2: guide, uh, we've taken into account fifty four different secondary schools. So fifty four different secondary schools in Bristol, South Gloucestershire, North Somerset, and places like Canesham, Oldfield, and Tumetna. Uh, the main point to mention here is that the schools that are being looked at are all in our patch areas and all that we, we cover and yeah you know, hopefully that will give parents a better picture when they're picking a secondary school for the new year
0: so the big question then which are the best schools this time around
2: yeah so the top 10 schools this year according to the guy in all areas uh, we've got and Girls School right at the top they've moved up from 6 last year we've got St Mary Ritcliffe and Temple School uh, in Ritcliffe Gordano School in Portishead Backwell School North Somerset, Bretley Stoke Community School in uh, South Gloss, in Bradley Stoke, obviously. We've got St. Beats Catholic College, uh, a new addition to the top 10. Ritland Green, always in the top 10. Bristol Cathedral Choir School, in eighth, coming back up from 11th last year. We've got Wellsway Way School, our first sort of Bath and North East Somerset school. And the top 10 is finished by Castle School in Thornbury, again uh, moving up to 10th, which is fantastic to see. I know it's
0: Down End School's not in there.
2: No, oh, that's the school I went to. How has that not made the top ten? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think Downend School hopefully will make the top ten at some point. Uh, the most important thing here is that schools. Uh, I don't want to use this as uh, the guide as a way to, if you like, stick it into the schools. So some other papers or websites would choose to use the data in the guide to list the worst schools as well. Something I'm very hesitant to do because I just don't think it should be used to beat any schools or teachers down because they work very hard.
0: So this is obviously a really helpful tool for parents, for obvious reasons, but how do the Mm. schools feel about these things as well?
2: Yeah, it can be difficult because some of the schools who are not in the top 10, as you can see, some of the schools in the top 10, traditionally, the better doing, you know, they do quite well at GCSEs or A-levels. Some of them come from very affluent areas of Bristol. You've got places like Redland Green, um th- there are schools in here that come, don't come from that affluent areas, places like St. Beats Catholic College, but again, St. Beats is obviously selective school based on your religion. Um it, it's a shame that I you know, I don't see some of the secondary schools here which do incredible work, places like Fairfield High School, places like um, Orchard School, formerly some people in Bristol might know as Monk's Park School. Um, And these places have really sort of turned around the education picture. If you look at Orchard School, they've come from a school where nobody wanted to go to. To be fair, Monk's Park, everyone wanted to go to places like Down End or is quite far away to go to school, or Marwood, And they've decided now to go to Orchard School, which is great to see.
0: So what do these results actually mean then, do you think, in terms of, you know, for parents trying to choose a school?
2: Mm. So we'll have thousands of parents. We're looking at about 10,000 parents Who will be applying for a secondary school place in within the next academic year, which starts in September? You have not long. You know you've got to traditionally the end of September to book a place for September 2019. So a lot of parents will start looking at schools over the summer break uh, at the end of the term. They'll start visiting schools, which is great, and they'll start looking at GCSE results. They'll start looking at A level results. Start looking at Ofsted inspection reports, and they will start talking to other parents. Um, for me, the most important thing for parents to do, and I always say this, is not just use the guide. Now, the guide's fantastic; it's got fifty-one data points. It is awesome, but n- the highest achieving school or the top school here might not be the best fit for your child. So, if you've got somebody who might not do well under academic pressure, might you know you might not want to go to a certain school, but then you might go to a school which have very good vocational result, results, places like uh, Digitech Studio, you know, that focuses primarily on certain subjects. Now, you want you might want to do that because you know that your child's going to enjoy it there. Uh, so for me, the most important thing for parents to do is to go to the school, visit the school, ask them any question you want and, you know, see if it's a good fit for your child. Bring your child along if if possible and, uh, yeah, just let them just sort of experience it and if they like it, that is a much better choice than looking at data only.
0: Are there some limitations, would you say, to these data points that you're looking at, though, that some Mm. things you can get from, the parents can get from it, but are there some things missing
2: that you can only see from going to see the school? Yeah, um, data can only tell you so much. So data with, again, something, let's take uh, something out of this data, and that's absence ratios. Now, people talk about absence and they start worrying about, oh, no, this school only has sort of, an attendance rate of 90% which is quite low but what they don't find out is actually the school might have a huge number of young carers and so young carers as we know as I know personally as well take a a lot of time out of school because they have to take care of their family members and so that skewers the absence ratio now it's not that it's a good school for all you know that that school supports its young carers incredibly well so what it means is that you know, teachers would take time out of school to go, to go and see these children and talk to them at home, but they're absent from school. So again, data can tell you so much, but it's best to go and find out what a school really is like. And you know, Ofsted reports are not bad; they, they give you some example of a school. But think about it again: an Ofsted inspector goes into school for three or four days, sometimes two days, and they can't get the full picture. You know, there are other things like how many pupils do not speak English as a first language. How many pupils take free school meals? You know, If your child was a free school meal pupil and they went to a school where only 5% of children took free school meals, they might feel left out. So again, you want to find out these things and these things don't come out in the real school's guide. That's not to say it's not important. The real school's guide is important, but yeah.
0: And also I suppose making these sort of tables of, you know, from these data points, they have... Further limitations as well in the sense of catchment areas, aren't they? Because mm. you might want to take your kid to the best school that you can possibly get to, but you might be limited by the catchment
2: area that they're in. So you may only have a small choice of schools as
0: well. Is that something
2: that people have to I mean, secondary schools are slightly different these days because they're academies. So catchment is not necessarily a thing. Um, catchment, it's a thing when it comes to tie-breaking, which happens in Bristol because nearly all the schools are oversubscribed. But... There are schools without catchment areas, um, like St Mary Raycliffe and Coast and Girls. Now, Coast and Girls, we know, don't only take children from Montpelier or Stokescroft or Cheltenham Road. Uh, they take girls from everywhere else. You know, again, gender. Uh, some schools are selective by gender, Coast and Girls. Selective by religion, St Bernadette's, um, St Beats. So, again, y- there are many factors to choosing a school. Uh, for me, the most important thing is it, it's a good fit and there's no way of finding that out on a, a, a guide. The guide can help you ch- narrow down your choices, but the best thing is to go and see the school. I would say as well, if you want to follow results that normally come out for secondary schools in January the following year, we do a live blog on the results. And part of that reason we do a live blog, now previously when I was an education reporter elsewhere, we used to just publish the entire performance tables, which... Honestly, take about a day to clean up and put together. But we thought we're going to spend one more day running a life block because that would give you a fuller picture of individual schools. So if I were to talk about, um, say, Oasis Academy John Williams, right, uh, down in South Bristol, I'll give a picture that actually Oasis John Williams has a difficult sort of community that they work in, a more deprived community that they work in. Uh, There is no excuse for low expectations, but at the same time, you've got to put that into context. And then at the same time, you can look at schools like City Academy in Easton. Now, achievement there is not very high. The kids don't necessarily do great scores in their GCSE in terms of A's and B's or 9's and 10's now. But um, they do really well to progress from where they came when they first entered secondary school. You know, that's something to shout about.
0: And your job as education reporter, it covers such a massive combination of things, doesn't it? It's really, really varied job. How do you balance sort of all of the different aspects of covering education? Is that something that you sort of struggle with to to get out there?
2: Yeah, previously we, uh, you know, if you were an education reporter, you could just cover just education um, on the paper or online, especially in the paper. Uh, that was all I wrote. Schools every day. Uh, sometimes that is a problem these days because. We have fewer reporters in the newsroom these days, Uh, it's it's just a matter of fact, and also because that means an educational reporter becomes very limited in their understanding of education, which is not good. So I cover homelessness as well, as some of you might know, and I cover stories around poverty and mental health. So when you think about especially poverty and mental health, it works very closely with education. And some of the coverage we've done previously about looking at deprivation areas in Bristol. Uh, Bristol has some areas which are in the bottom 10% most deprived areas in England. Uh, places like Ron's Hill, especially in Barton Hill. Uh, Fieldwood, as some people won't know, Arcliffe. Um, and so they come from really deprived sort of backgrounds. And that is not a, a bad thing. It's just a matter of fact. So then that comes into feet into the education, you know. And so it's, it's important to put all these things into context.
0: Do you find yourself being torn between sort of what the parents like to see and what the schools like to see as well? Because I'm sure they mm. both have different opinions of what they'd
2: like to see in news coverage. Is that something you have to balance uh, as well? Yeah. Every education report has this tricky balance between school and parents. Now, the, the most important thing is not people what people like to see. Cause, you know, it's never affected my reporting. The main thing is that I'm writing for parents and then I'm writing for students and then if I'm perfectly honest, in that order, parents, students, schools, <laughs> and local authority. So, if you want to ask where the interest lies, it's heavily weighted to families. The main thing is, if I cover a story, I don't cover it for a head teacher or, or a teacher's ego. You've got to you've got to make sure it's relevant to parents. So that's that's the most important thing. It's got to be relevant to parents and children. And that means sometimes turning around to the school and say, actually, you're doing that just to boast about yourself. And there's actually no real tangible reasons to do a story like that. And parents seem to get
0: quite invested in education coverage as well, don't they? They become mm-hmm. quite passionate about it and sometimes quite angry as well. There can be some sort of, you know, angry responses, can there? Why yeah. do you think it is that people are so invested in education
2: reporting. Because they love it, because it's it's important, because it affects their child's life. Uh, if you think about it, um, um, and this is the truth, the biggest demographic of readers to Bristol Life and to most other papers anywhere in the country are parents with one or two children. In Bristol, we know it's parents with at least two children. That's the biggest demographic. About 200,000, um, more than 200,000 people who come to the website fit in that demographic so more than 50 percent fit in that demographic which is incredible when you think about it at the same time it means when you cover a school story you have to be quite careful cover an Ofsted story uh, an example would be an Ofsted report now when an Ofsted inspection report comes out you do not need the permission of the school you do not need the permission of the local authority to run that that is the most important thing to say At the same time, you've got to think about where the school come from. So if a school is put into special measures, what I normally do is ring the school and say, I want to talk to you about it. And in more recent weeks or months, what's been really good is schools have come forward and said, we know we're going to get a bad inspection report and I want to talk to you about it. And they're they're not going to change my reporting by talking to me about it, but they can add context to it, which helps the reporting. Now, parents love or hate their school it's really just two sides to it and parents who love the school might not realise that the school's not doing well because to be perfectly honest a parents only know the school from maybe the half an hour interaction and a half with the teacher at the end of the school day when they pick their children up at the same time I have to stay close to something like an offset inspection report because any you know, movement from that, any opinion in the story becomes a real problem and yeah people care
0: Yongi, thanks very much for your time. Really enjoyed chatting to you. Cheers. Michael puts in a lot of hours putting together that Real Schools guy and his fantastic education work. Really, really helps out parents in Bristol. So thanks very much to him for talking us through it. Right, let's jump into our next conversation with reporter Tristan Cork about the issues that Bedminster faces.
3: Hi, I'm Tristan Cork. I'm a reporter at Bristol Live.
0: Tris, what we're going to be talking about today is something slightly different. It's sort of more of a broad more broad coverage really isn't it we're going to be talking mm. about bedminster which is a community that you write about a lot but mm. also
3: live in yourself as well i do i live in bedminster bedminster's uh, a great place and i love it i'm really pleased that i live there It also kind of includes bs3 generally which is people always argue about what what is bedminster where does bedminster stop and southville start and ashton start so i like to think of it all as just and there's some people that argue that Scytheville doesn't
0: even exist. It's all yeah. just Emmy.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, most people kind of just think everything south of the river before you get to the hill is... Uh, is bedminster and um, that's I think probably, that's that's probably how I grew
0: true. up. Yeah, because I'm from North Bristol and from sort of yeah. Lockleys, and so I always assume that as soon as you get
3: past town, it's just it's all Bemmy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's just go with that. So um, things are happening in Bemi. It's been a it, it's been a long process in the last couple of years, last five years, last two years, and it's, it seems to be speeding up now. There are developers with big plans to build. Um, what some people describe as yuppie flats big tower blocks there's an ongoing process of kind of I guess you'd say gentrification although that word has been overused a lot but what that means for Bedminster is that the traditional businesses the traditional sort of community shops and ordinary kind of you know stores that you'd see in the high street are under pressure and there's a there's a few more shops like cafes and bars and a more upmarket feel to some of it. That has traditionally been, in the last few years, on North Street, which is apparently the hippest street in Bristol. Now that is kind of the question is is that spreading to east street which is the pedestrianized street which is completely different to north street
0: there really is kind of a split down the middle between yeah. those two streets isn't there you walk down east street and it's sort of quite an old style high street isn't it you've yeah. got your cash converters there's an arcade down there and stuff yeah, isn't yeah. there yeah. but then you get to north street and then it's sort of was it there's you know burger joints and yeah. um but you know hipster butchers and all sorts yeah. of things. yeah there?
3: exactly they're, they're, they're very different and um street has got a lot of challenges and a lot of it seems to be we seem to be at the point now where there's a lot of it seems to be kind of just about to change. It really there's a real feeling that things aren't going to stay the same for much longer. There's been a few kind of little catalysts that I've been reporting on and they've all kind of we I've been trying to bring them all together in my reporting. So this is I wanted to talk about how I go about reporting what are individual little stories, but then kind of link them all together. So to start with, there's a shopping precinct in East Street called St Catherine's Place, which has got a farm foods and an Iceland and a florist and a big charity shop, but the rest of it is empty. I'm sure that people who love St Catherine's Place will say, will hate me for saying this, but it doesn't look the best. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't look the best. I always think that Banksy should come in there and do a kind of shopping arcade version of Dismaland in there because <laughs> there's plenty of empty shops for him to, to put stuff in. It would be really cool. And above that is a big tower block, uh, which used to be the DSS, Social Security Office, for the whole of South Bristol for many years. So a lot of people will know it. It's on the main road at the back of the shopping centre. And that is currently being converted into flats. Now, that's being done by a company called Firmstone, who are a local developer. They were accused by people who live um, in Windmill Hill, which overlooks it, and also in the local area, of kind of trying to do this kind of yuppie flat thing, this sort of gentrification thing. And what's interesting, the the most recent story I did this week was I managed to get out of Firmstone how many flats they're converting, how many flats they're creating, who's buying them, and how many have been bought and stuff. And actually, they say that it tells a bit of a different story. It's not the story that... The the narrative that people often talk about when they talk about stuff like this in the Facebook comments that I get and when I put it on Facebook and when I put it on Twitter and in in the comments under the stories and when you talk to people in the street, the narrative is that these yuppie flats will come in, then loads of yuppies will come in and change the area and suddenly you get... The situation where the traditional bakery closes down and a posh one opens, or your butcher's closes down and you get a vegan uh, fast food joint, which is what's happening in East Street, and uh, it changes the area. And also, more than that, it means that the price generally go of, of both to buy houses and to rent houses goes up. Landlords see, oh, this is an up and coming area. They whack two hundred quid on the, a month on the rent, and suddenly piece, people are priced out. Now that's what's been that's what's happened. In places like up Gloucester Road, say Bishopston Montpelier, it's happening in Eastern, um, in BS5, and it's already happened in like Southville and the western side of North Street down towards Ashton. But what I t- found from talking to the developers is actually not that not the case, or they they say it's not the case. Of the fifty two flats, thirty eight of them were bought in the first two weeks. And ninety percent of them were bought by local people using the um, help to buy scheme, which is for first time buyers who live locally, who want to get on the housing ladder. So they're probably people who are renting right now. What actually the flats will be is cheaper to buy as a mortgage with this help to buy scheme than they get with uh, they than they have to pay rent. So that that paints a different picture. That is
0: really surprising because I always imagine when you know, nice new, you know, yuppie flats go up. I always imagine that a really high percentage would go to investors who would then either rent it out or would try and sell it on for more money or would go to young professionals from the outside the area, like you said. So this really is sort of the opposite picture,
2: really.
3: Yeah, it's really interesting. Now, it remains to be seen whether they are young professionals from outside the area who are currently living and renting in BS3. The demographic of BS3 is changing. So it might well be the case that a lot of the people who end up living in these flats are kind of... the Quintessential yuppies from outside the area, but it's certainly uh, the case that these are probably quite cheap compared to massive houses that are up for sale. So it does create a different kind of picture. Now the other thing, it all—it's all interlinked. It's fascinating when you get your teeth into something like this. It's all interlinked. So one of the blows that East Street is suffering from—it's lost two. It's going to lose two of its main shops, Bon Marché closed last month and next month Argos is closing and they're moving to Sainsbury's in uh, Winterstoke Road in the other side of BS3. Now the Argos site is huge and uh, at the back they've got a big warehouse and a car park and everything and the person who owns that I found out is the guy Mr. Firmstone who is doing the development Uh, opposite for the flats and he's also got plans to build more blocks of flats next door and across the road there's more plans for more big sort of 15-story buildings for more flats. So there's going to be an injection of a couple of thousand people who are going to be moving into BS3 and in, into this corner of BS3, which is looking across the whole of Bedminster. It's probably the most quotes run-down area, and it is going to change. And it really, it's really fascinating to kind of be at the threshold of that change and and be reporting on it from that perspective. And that also comes with the loss of shops, like you said, so thousands of people moving
0: in and then the loss of shops, which is effectively the loss of amenities, isn't it? Where you could come to this point where there's all these people living there, but there's nothing for them, you know, there's nowhere for them to go because living in Locklees, that's exactly what's happened up there is that there's, you know, there's plans for thousands of houses in that area, but. In that time, we've lost all of
3: our pubs. There's only a few shops left. And yet there's all these people coming in. Yeah, that's right. Um, And what what tends to happen is that if you're not careful, the driver of gentrification actually becomes too greedy too soon. So what could happen, what people fear is going to happen, is that the landlords who own the shops and let out the shops to the individual businesses, they get too greedy and think, oh, there's all these, you know, a thousand rich people are, are gonna uh, about to move into my area. I'm going to put the rent up, the rates up for my shop and force out that traditional business that has been ticking along and just about kind of surviving on the cheap, benefiting from the comparatively cheap rent that goes in East Street because it's not it's not the most desirable of shopping streets. They force them out and then suddenly there isn't the dirty burger joint or the hipster cafe, they can't they are they are not coming in yet because it's still not they're always the kind of the ones there's always outliers, isn't there, who come in early and sort of benefit from the cheap stuff, cheap rents and stuff. But what often happens is that you can actually trigger decline instead. If you're a landlord and you kind of go, Oh, I can put the rent up because it's gonna I'm gonna we need to change, you know, we need to get more money out of this. I can I need to be on this milk, milk this train a bit. And um, what happens is that you end up actually turning it downwards. How have you already seen Bedminster change in the time that you've been there? Then it's it is fascinating to to watch just kind of little things. So there'll be so there's there's things you notice. So since I've lived there, um, one is that there's a lot more young parents with kids. As part of that, I've reported on the there's plans for him to turn a traditional old bakery that closed down last year that prompted that sourdough Bristol thing, that's being turned into a huge 100-place nursery school for under fours, under fives, um, preschool and uh, baby and toddler uh, place. So you can see it generally, when you walk around, you see there's loads of young mums, loads of young parents walking around. And then you see that evidence of that, not just with your, like kind of anecdotally, just the impression you get, but you see it when someone goes do you know what we need a 100 place nursery
0: someone else is saying the same thing basically
3: yeah. yeah and and apparently i've reported on this last last month the 100 places are pretty much full up before they even got planning permission um so you see things like that you also see traditional businesses struggling so your kind of hardware store or your, or yeah your, there's a um, there's some great businesses down east street that you know like school wear shops and um, trophy makers and uh, shoemakers and that kind of thing. They are the ones who you kind of fear for. And sometimes, you know, they close and aren't replaced. So you see them. And also, every time there's a new bar or something opens, it's not a bar for traditional Bristol. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a bar where you've got loads of quirky stuff going on and they've got like a artisan ale and, you know, six pound a pint cider and stuff going on.
0: And they're trying to make it a destination for outside of Bedminster as well, aren't they? And mm. when um, Uwe Burger opened, people were coming from everywhere, weren't they? When they opened that new, the new yeah. branch in um, North Street, people were coming from, I went over there when it opened just to see what it was about. And a lot of my friends did from North Bristol. Yeah. So they tried to make it more of a destination rather than just being yeah. a spot for sort of people in the area.
3: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting that, that it has, it's kind of got that reputation now, North Street. And you talk to a lot of people who've been there for years and they're kind of, there, there's a general sense of bafflement.
2: <laughs> it's
3: Why <been>, here? <laughs> yeah, like what is going on? And also it seems a little bit, it sort of feels a little bit kind of Disney-like as well. You know at Disneyland where you walk along and you see you're in this kind of main street USA and there's like all these amazing shop fronts and you go around the back and it's literally just a front isn't it with like sticks there's no actual building there there's that feel there's that sense of it not so much in north street a bit but more in east street where you know you kind of go around down an alleyway and there's still people taking spice in the corners and there's homeless people and people in in real dire housing conditions you kind of think what's going you know what is going on here it's 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 a crazy sort of place to live and work So you've been writing all these sort of individual stories, like you said, talking about housing, talking
0: about gentrification, talking about uh, the shops and things like that. Have you got any plans to wrap it all together then in something that is a big feature?
3: Yeah, I've kind of done that a couple of times already. So one of my colleagues um, did a a story about how the success story of North Street. And then I did a a good, I I did a feature, kind of news feature on the future of East Street after Argos and Bon Marche left. And I spoke to the um, the chap who headed up the Bemidster Bid uh, Business Improvement District, which, of course, there was another story about that because Argos pulled out of that, and it all went a bit up in the air. And he was talking about the future of East Street. But yeah, I think what I hope is that you could that what I aim to do is to kind of take the readers along with me, so they kind of they see all the different articles that you do and see that they're, they are all linked. And my job is to kind of show the context that everything's happening in so that they know the back backstory. But I do have a plan, yeah, to do a kind of more, a much more uh, in-depth, you know, long read feature about that change and about that, this phenomenon that's going on. Are you
0: optimistic about the future of Bermudeen someone that lives there? Or are you sort of trying to take a step back and see it as a neutral,
3: you know, this is just the way it's going? Um... I'm a bit of both actually. I'm optimistic and pessimistic. I think the key thing will be the nature of the development that, that when it eventually does get planning permission because developers will just want to build houses that they build flats that they can sell. And if there are you know there are 10,000 people on the housing waiting list in Bristol and a lot of people in South Bristol need uh, need affordable social housing. The way that you get a balanced community which in which there is room for everyone in, you know so that the upwardly mobile young professional couples with lots of money living next to the people, the local people from the area who um, you know can't afford a flat but still want to live in the area that they're from, if you can get a good mix on those developments. There is hope that everyone can be taken along as Bedminster goes forward and improves and becomes a, a much nicer place to live. Um, however, if the developers win the day and are able to get away with building flats without any or little social housing involvement, then the danger then is that people get sidelined and everyone has to, you know, what you've seen happen in places like Clifton and Easton and, and, and Bishopston and Southville as well happens in, in East street as well. And that would be a real shame if that happened. Where so people are forced out of the houses yeah. that they live in because the value yeah. just becomes too desirable and the area is too expensive. Yeah. Basically. And, and also, you know, you've got a lot of people who simply can't afford to live there anymore. You know, there's a feature to be done about people who who don't live in Bristol anymore, let alone, let alone Bedminster. You know, there's a lot of people who can't afford to live here anymore and it's really, it's, it's, it, it's an issue that does need kind of addressing. Will Bemi always be Bemi or can you ever see it being known as Bedmo? <laughs> so that's an interesting one. So Bedmo is this kind of hipster thing. People have started using it again as a hipster thing. However, someone did say to me that it used to be Years back in the day when, kind of in the 80s and 90s, when there was this skater street art scene, obviously, that sort of spawned Inky and Banksy and all that lot, they would come south of the river. They would come to Bedminster to, presumably because the city's authorities didn't care that the, the Bedminster got drawn on and skated over less than if they were in the city centre or, you know, Gloucester Road. Um, and those people used to, people from north of the river used to call it Bedmo. And that's where the name, so there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a DJ group called Bedmo Disco that started a good 10, 15 years ago. Um, so it has always been a thing, but your local people, people who've been there generations, you know, who, whose grandmother worked in the tobacco factories. And then their grandmothers probably worked, grandfathers probably worked down the mines in Bedminster. Those people say, Bemi. And I think everyone should say Bemy <laughs> <laughs> It is Bemi. It is, it is Bemi. It is Bemy. Tristan, thanks very
0: much. Thank you. Tristan is really ingrained in his community, and you can really tell that from the stories that he writes and how he interacts with the people that live in his area, so really, really good to hear from him about that. Right, let's jump into our final conversation this week, which is about the fantastic Bristol Pride event, which is taking place this weekend. And we've got two guests we've for this We've got two one. guests. We filled up the
1: entire studio. Again, we spare, had it last
0: week. Not spare mic in the room. <laughs> we should go for one episode where we get every person in the editorial Bristol Live team in this room, and we just ask questions. It's like quick fire round. I you think jump in.
1: That would be massively confusing for the listener.
0: <laughs> it's avant garde. We can leave a mic in the middle of the newsroom, just leave it recording, and just put out twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. We could just like put, Big Brother, but yeah. for yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sort of we do a highlights package. The Love Island of the newsroom. Yeah, live. Bristol, Bristol Live Island, Bristol Live Island. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Let's do it. We'll pitch we're, it. We're it's so. <laughs> Do you want to get involved? <laughs> Let us know. We need staff. This could going to be a really dull period between about 11 o'clock and 7 in the morning. I think when this no whole, in, this no whole link the has room.
1: gone on a tangent.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's jump in to the conversation with Grace and Sophie.
4: My name's Sophie Priddo and
5: I'm a content editor. And I'm Grace Earl and I'm a reporter.
0: So we are here with two of our What's On experts from Bristol Live crack team and we're here to talk about another one of the biggest events that happens in the calendar in Bristol, would you say? Yeah, say yeah so. definitely. We're going to talk about Bristol Pride, which is this weekend, so we thought we'd do a nice preview in our in our lead up to the to the event. Are you guys looking forward to it?
5: Yeah, I think it'll be a really lovely, fun, positive day. I know the parade is always really popular and they've got really big plans for this year, like they do sort of every year. And I know that the team behind the festival have worked really hard to hopefully put on a really strong event celebrating Bristol's LGBT community, promoting love and tolerance, which is something we could all
4: benefit from. And I'm going to be working in the office and uh, covering it from the laptop and we're going to have a reporter out there live speaking to people and um, we'll be doing live coverage on the day. So it should be really great.
0: So you don't get to enjoy it to its full no, extent I don't get to go out and office. enjoy
4: it, which is a shame because it does look really fun and they've got a really good lineup this year. So I know I'll be stuck in the office, unfortunately. Let's hope it's a
0: little bit cooler for you in the office as well because yeah, it's been thing, <laughs> too <of course>. toasty <laughs> in there at the moment. It's so like hot. Roasting in there. So what have we been doing in the lead-up to the event? What sort of coverage have we been putting together?
5: So we've, we've started out by putting an everything-you-need-to-know type guide together, which is, as the name suggests, all the essential information for anyone thinking of attending Pride Day on Saturday this year so that includes things like the lineup the set times details of the parade route and what time that's going to take place information on sort of getting getting your um, your tickets sorted out Obviously Bristol Pride is a free to attend event, they just ask for a donation but it's important to make that distinction and let people know about purchasing additional wristbands in advance if they wish to and I've rounded it off of talking about the after parties for this year's event because that's a really huge part of the day even though it's in the night so that's kind of where we started from and then we've done separate separate articles over the course of this week addressing each one of those topics in a little bit more detail so that if people need to find out a certain thing relating to the day then they can do that with ease and don't have to chill through a big long list so to speak
0: have we we spoken about what pride is about then as well have we got some pieces sort of saying what the whole day is about and what the week is about because it's a week-long sort of list of events isn't it that go on?
5: Yeah well this year it's actually ran for two weeks which um, we covered earlier this year because it's the first time that's ever happened and it's it's a really big deal for a Pride Festival like Bristol which doesn't have the same level of funding as the big events in, in London or Manchester or Brighton. It's only been going for nine years and it's grown hugely during that time and that's predominantly thanks to the people who work really hard to organise it every year. I think they deserve a hell of a lot of credit because they do it all voluntarily and they work incredibly hard to put on a festival that generates hundreds of thousand pounds in revenue for the city every year and we did a nice piece a couple of weeks ago that reflected that because bristol pride was voted in the top 50 pride celebrations worldwide and was also pinpointed as one of the fastest growing pride festivals around the world as well so i think it's really lovely that they get that recognition for all the hard work they put in so yeah we've done a lot showcasing what it's all about in the in the build up to it as well
0: Because as well as being a really fun event where loads of people sort of get out into the streets, really colourful, really musical, loads of food and stuff, isn't it? It's a massive event. But it's also a a really fantastic symbol of how inclusive Bristol can be, isn't it, as well? It's a really lovely thing to see when it's that big.
5: Yeah, definitely. Seeing it grow sort of year on year is obviously really refreshing because for everyone that you've got there going along... To enjoy it and, and have a good time. You've got people there who obviously are members of the LGBT community and to see those people become more represented each year as Pride gets bigger is obviously fantastic because they're feeling like they can they can be themselves and aren't ashamed of, of their identity and feel safe enough in Bristol as a really positive and diverse city and a welcoming city that they can express their true identities and you know love themselves for who they are
0: the event seems to take over the whole city center as well doesn't it Mm. It just is is across the city which is a really lovely thing to see as well I think because it's not like it's in one small corner of the park or something if you're in Bristol on that day you can't miss it yeah
4: I think 2016 was the turning point for them with that they used to be in Castle Park and it just massively outgrew it and then it had to take Take it down to the amphitheatre, which is obviously a much bigger space. They've got a much bigger stage down there and they have activities going on in Millennium Square as well. But it still starts in Castle Park, which I guess is, is where it started. And that's where the, the parade starts and it goes all through the city centre and you just can't miss it. You, you can't not smile as you see it go by or, or be want to be involved in it.
0: Have you guys been in previous years?
4: Um, yeah, I've been. I went to one when it was back in Castle Park I think it was in 2014 when I first moved here so, so it must be
0: a completely different beast yeah now it's, then compared it's, to those years it's grown
4: ago, yeah. so much since then
0: I've never been to the Bristol one I've been to the one in London which was absolutely yeah. amazing it was just it was again we didn't intend to be there necessarily we just you can't miss it can you if you're yeah. in London it will just come past you and it was such a lovely event but I think I'm definitely going to try and make it to this year's one are you going Grace?
5: Um, I am yeah we're going to pop along for some point during the day Um, I've got a lot of friends coming to stay this weekend and we all used to live in Brighton so we're we're well versed in what pride entails and and what a good day it is so yeah it'll be I've not been to the Bristol event before so it'll be really good to see how they do it compared to down in Brighton which is obviously the pride celebration that most people look upon as, as being the biggest
0: What sort of things can people look forward to this year then what's some of the highlights?
5: For me, I think the parade is going to be the real focal point of the day, simply because, as Sophie said, it is so huge and so colourful. It's just a lovely thing to see and you can't really miss it. So it's going to be making its way through the city centre from around 11am, I think, off the top of my head, on Saturday morning and then ending up at the amphitheatre. And then for anyone going going along there, there's um, some really good live music happening. There's loads of different food and drink stalls and there's sort of loads of information points where you can find out a bit more about Bristol Pride's work as a charity and, and what they do to promote and help the LGBT community in the city. And then for me personally, I think the after parties sound incredible. They've got um you've got them in the OT Academy, the Old Market Assembly Queen Shilling, um, I think the Love has got a few things on as well. So all corners of the city are really getting involved and it's going to be great. I'm just excited
4: to see the outfits. Oh my God, Last yes. year there were some <laughs> amazing outfits, so much yeah. glitter being it's my just- element.
5: It's mad, isn't it? Like yeah. pure glitter, colour,
4: yeah, sequins, sparkles, a lot.
0: Are we going to be doing one of our uh, best dressed? Oh of Friday, yeah, 2018? we're
4: definitely going to be out looking for the best dress. So if you spot our reporter out there, or if we spot you, let us put you in our gallery because it is our favourite thing to do. There's always some events. stiff
0: competition as well. I remember seeing the ones yeah, from today. Oh yeah, a tricky the competition. The one I forced
4: myself into. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there are some. There are some really people really go all out for these things and. It's it's a great time to just get everyone looking their best. Loads of glitter, loads of colour, like Grace said. It's great.
0: Sophie, you were previously at What's On Editor, weren't you? I was, yeah. And your job title changed recently.
4: It did, yes. But
0: you have... A lot of experience with covering these sort of events. Yes. What are your plans? Because you're going to be man in the fort. So how are you going I to... I am going
4: to be man in the fort. We're, we have kind of a set plan with how we cover events and make sure that we get kind of the set stuff in. Like Grace said, we've done so much pre-coverage, which will all be there on the day for anyone who's going and, and wanting to find that information. On the day, we'll be running a live blog. So just covering things as and when they happen. We'll be out, we'll be speaking to people, finding their stories, speaking to people having a good time, videos, pictures, galleries, all that sort of stuff. So it will just be a case of making sure that we've got everything covered and just trying to meet interesting people and, and telling their stories.
0: And how does Bristol compare to other cities for events like this, do you think? It seems like, particularly at this time of year as well, you know, in the summer period, it's just every weekend there's something massive going on, isn't there?
5: For uh, me, personally, I feel like I've got a winter job and a summer job. And there is a <laughs> huge difference between those two because as a World well, what Summer reporter, it is pretty much my job to cover events in the summer. And it suddenly goes from being quite quite quiet in winter and looking at the year mm. ahead and looking at the year back to just sudden, full-on mayhem. So we had St Paul's Carnival last weekend. We've got Pride this weekend. We've got the Bristol Harbour Festival this month. We've got the Balloon Fiesta in just, just under a month's time. And then we've got the Dance Festival as well. And, of course, there are smaller but equally important community events happening every single weekend in that time.
4: So Bristol's... I can't think of a better place. No, I know I'm biased, but honestly can't think of a better place to to spend a summer or to spend any time really, but specifically the summer, like from May till September, you're just full. Every weekend is full. There's always something to do, always something different to do, whether you're families or students or... You know, a couple or friends like there's just something every single weekend, and it does keep us very busy in here. Um, (laughs) But it equally just
0: makes it such an enjoyable job. And it can be a bit stressful sometimes when you've got multiple events going on, trying to choose which one to go to. It's
4: (laughs) it's a a hard life. Yeah, it can be. You you've got to forward plan. get that diary.
0: It's also knackering up. as well, isn't it? just find yourself going to bed later and later every, yeah. every oh, day every you day. get to
5: like mid September and you just sort of sit back and you
4: need you're to like, rest now. Oh, what's happened?
0: <laughs> Especially in recent weeks because we've just turned into the south of France all of a sudden. I know.
4: It's been amazing. <laughs>
0: absolutely
5: loving it the way the World Cup's gone as well. It's been a busy few weeks. It has.
4: Asked fun. me five, six weeks ago if I cared about <laughs> football and I would have said, absolutely not now. I can't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> cannot get enough. I've been reading up all about it, learning all about I it. I know all the rules.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the rules. we got that one? Uh, yeah, I think so. In I theory. think that's just. I think that's just a, a, a thing that you sort of know as a boy in a secondary school. If you don't know that rule... Unless you want to be you bullied. You get bullied. Yeah. Also, you get bullied anyway. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> it,
0: it was a lose-lose for me. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we've got a little bit off tangent there. But <laughs> yeah, that
5: took a turn. <laughs> it's fine.
0: <laughs> so enjoy Pride, guys. Thank, and you. thank you very much for joining me on the show. No,
5: no
3: problem. Thank Thanks for having us.
0: Really looking forward to the Pride event this weekend. So thanks to those guys for talking us through it. Right, that brings this week's show to an end. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for listening. Just before we go, don't forget, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, you can rate, review, subscribe to us. Just search Inside Bristol Live, you'll find us. Also on Twitter, at IBL Podcast. Join in the conversation. We post links to some stories and stuff as well. Matt, thank you, you very
1: much. Uh, you're welcome. You sound like you need a sip. I need a,
0: I need a soother so badly. I've got a it's gonna get at worse. my desk. If, it's going to get worse because I'm going down the pub tonight to watch the again. Oh, no, I don't think that's how you cure it. <laughs> it's going to be shocking. Or
1: maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe I need it is. to power through. Mm. That's the problem. Hopefully
0: you'll be fine next week. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Until next week, goodbye.